check, check. One, two, check. Mic's on. From the world of education to you, my name is Dr. A. Our show is all about finding your voice by connecting our community through collaboration. Welcome back to another edition of Mike's On. Episode 51. And just like that, uh, we're going to move right into inviting quite a few people back. Uh, first time we've had this many folks around the mics. So um, I'm going to go around the table. We're going to introduce ourselves. Mr. Denny. Hi. How are you, sir? I'm well. Y'all might remember Mr. Denny. What do you do here? Uh, I, believe it or not, sometimes teach. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Contrary kind of, to popular belief. I teach eighth grade, American <laughs> history. Excellent. So, and as I like to say, the best history teacher in the grade. And that's a great segue into my next guest, Mr. Who, Blackford. Who is the best history teacher in the eighth grade. Who has the record for the most times being on mics right. on. And I appreciate being on Area 51. Yeah. <laughs> so. Episode. Episode 51. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Area 51, get it? Yeah. It's a history reference. And then uh, I'm going to skip over one because he's new and go straight to, to Mr. Coleman. What do you do here, Mr. Coleman? Eighth grade science. Eighth grade science. All right. And then uh, we have a newbie. Not part of the three musketeers or the three amigos. Now we got to come up with a different terminology for this. He, he, is, he is the... The shemp of our three speakers. <laughs> Wasn't there a fourth, fourth musketeer? A there fourth was guy? a fourth musketeer, yeah, yes. Well, he just didn't get named in the yeah. that. Welcome to Mr. DeCarly. Tony, what do you do here at uh, Salvage? I teach eighth grade language arts. All right, so we've got all eighth grade teachers here with us. Well, that plan time set up, right? Well, it works that way, yeah, doesn't it? Does. So we can get it taken care of and knocked out while we're at school. So that's a good thing. So, Tony, how long have you been working here at Selvage now? Ten years. This is year 10 for me. Year 10. Mm-hmm. And talk to me just a quick minute about uh, your journey. Where did you start education at? So, you mean teaching? Where did, yeah, where did yeah. you start teaching? So, first year was subbing outside right. of, out of college, mostly at Crestview. I don't think I ever subbed here. And then my first year here was as a classroom assistant, so right. I was spending a lot of time in facts and sixth grade math. Yep. And then... Uh, you learned I, how to sew or what? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I never touched a machine, but I, as soon as the first time I did, I already know how to do it because I spent an entire quarter helping kids with it, <laughs> even though I never sat down. Um, and then I did... I, I long-term sub for Ms. Roboto when she was on maternity leave right. for about almost the first semester. And then the rest of the year, I was in in-school suspension, as it was formerly known. Right. And ever since then, I've been eight years of eighth-grade language arts eight, on the green team. Eight years in the same classroom, right? Uh-huh. You all have been in the same classroom except for Rich. Am I right about that? Yeah. I'm the only yep. one who's uh, had to move classrooms. Yeah. Because Where was you? I started so at the same time. You used to be time. in Denny's. I used to be in Mr. Denny's room. Yeah, I found a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> All right, so part of what we were going to do today was um, uh, go over a book called Stamped, which is the district's one read. It's by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. And uh, each of us, being a little bit of a, a history enthusiast, I think, um, what did you think of this book so far? I've enjoyed it. Um, very quick read. Um, yeah? I'd be honest, I didn't finish reading. Um, but well, then it's not really a quick read. It is will it? be a quick read. It will read. be. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, it, it's hard for me to get involved in a book. Yeah. Um, but, you know, background, loving history, um, you know, starting to connect the dots. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it was, I guess, uh, an attractive read for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mr. Carly, what do you think? I love it. It's my second time through the book. Um, yeah. I've already did read you it. seriously read it? Yeah. All the way through again? I did. Yeah, I read through it a second time. I'm a arts teacher. I'm impressed for today. Um, <laughs> I'm impressed, but I, I read a lot, so it's easy for me to do PRP for like but 90 it's, minutes. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I got to finish the book, kids. Everybody's reading today. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I like it because it does a good job of. Because we, we often, I feel like, look at history and we're looking so event-focused, timeline-focused of here's this event, then it's followed by this event. And while this is still chronological, it's tracing a, an idea through history rather than just looking at events in isolation. Um, and so you're getting to see that idea of racism and the way it's been built through our entire history as a country and before we were even a country. Yeah. Rich, what do you think? Um, it is a good... I, I, in the back of the cover, it says this is not a history book. It's about here and now, yeah. which is what I really like because it is connecting. It is talking about here's why the problems exist today. Um, okay, a frustrating part, though, is because uh, you gave me a library book, so I couldn't highlight it in the book. Yeah, you need to highlight. I need to highlight. I'm a highlighter when I read. But, you know, as, as Tony was saying, and I think we need to relook at history, it's not just a series of unfortunate events that are totally not connected, that you could trace it all back and understand a lot of what's going on today by looking at where we've been. Um, I think it's even when you get into um, race and the vaccine of African-Americans or, or Latino-Americans not wanting to get the vaccine, because if you go back in history, it's like, oh... They don't trust it because, right. and I think that's a really interesting way to look at. You know, we have to understand. Hey, it's nothing like when yep. when the radio goes off. I know. That's you gotta still go. be at work. You know, so yeah, I gotta, that's, you're the gotta boss. Gotta be, be around. Mm-hmm. So enjoyable book for you so far. Enjoyable book. All right. What do you think, Mr. Denny? Yeah, I enjoyed it. So I actually listened to the book. Did you really? Audiobook. How is how is that? Uh it was I actually really enjoyed it. A because I don't have a whole lot of time just to sit down with a book, but right. I have an hour in the car every day right. uninterrupted. So it was it was a quick <laughs> listen. Listen. Um but just hearing it through the the author's actual voice emphasized a little bit more different sections and like I listened to the two podcast episodes where you read through different chapters. Mm-hmm. And kind of listening to your version of it and then listening to how Reynolds kind of uh, portrayed the the information was mainly the same. But just adding that emphasis on certain parts that he, you could tell, really wanted emphasized. Right. And you don't know that unless you are the author a lot of times. But no, I thought it was really interesting, especially from like a history teacher perspective. A lot of the content, especially in the early part of the book... I knew it like yeah. it, it's not new information necessarily, but there's that connection like like Rich was talking about that connection between how things are today with how things were, you know, 600 plus years ago and seeing all those little details and, and seeing the dive into different topics that we don't necessarily teach about, you know, because it's not necessarily relevant to our content, like not content area, but the thing that we're supposed to be teaching about in that moment. 
So I, th- I found it really interesting. I finished it yesterday, I think, actually. Yeah. And the, the last half of the book is really what kind of was sticking out to me because that's the, the history part that I frankly just don't know as well. Right. I, I teach early American history, and frankly, my educational experience when it comes to later history uh, isn't as great. I, I, you know, I didn't have the strong, strong interest when I was in school, and then when I started going to uh, my university classes, almost all of those were like way back history classes, right. not necessarily focusing on you know the the modern era. Yeah. So seeing that was was really uh, eye opening. So talking about a little bit with the the past history and then the most recent, I often say that the recent history is really the the stuff that's probably the most difficult for us to understand because it's just happened and you're kind of trying to work through why it's happened. Um, so I appreciate you bring that up because as I kind of look through it, you know, I do like the way the book is set up. I like that that we really chunk it out and. Um, and then we get it to a point where it really, I mean, I don't know exactly when this was published, but it, it felt very recent and, and like it, it could have been published just yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mr. DeCarly, I'm going to lean into you as my language arts mm-hmm. teacher. It's published last year, by the way, 2020. Oh, yep. thank you for taking a look. Yep. Copyright. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> knows where those are. Yeah, thank right. you. I always read it. So as you kind of go through a book book study or a book talk with your kids, what kind of things do you ask them or what would you be asking them of something like this if you were able to actually do a book like this in class? So one of the things that we do, so we actually just last semester did a a unit called uh, Literary Nonfiction where it was all about reading nonfiction. This was one of the books I offered. No one read it. I did have a student last year who read it though on her own, um, which was really cool to to see the way she, she talked about and wrote about it. But some of the things we do are we actually, we talked about viewing moments through the lenses of social scientists. So mm-hmm. historians, uh, economists, uh, geographers, and what am I missing? There's one more that I'm missing. Oh, it's going to be so obvious. Sociologists? No, because I, I don't remember. It isn't, anyway. Um, no, I don't think it was political. Okay. It might have been. But it, 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 the lenses don't matter so much, but the idea is... How do you see these these lenses as influencing the way you read it? So, like, maybe you go back and look at it as a geographer. So you think, okay, where does it take place? How does the location of this take place? Uh, how does the location influence what happened? Or an economist who has access to resource, how are resources distributed? How does that affect people? And that's one way to look at it. We also talked about connecting seams that seem disconnected. And obviously, this book basically does that for you. It, it connects these disconnected events and it brings them all together uh, or seemingly disconnected, of course. Right. Um, Cause that's the idea is that scenes are seemingly disconnected. How do they connect? And again, we get that through the overall lens of how racism is, is funneled through our history. Yeah. One of the, the big things that I, I got from the book was uh, what was it? 99.7% or 99.9. I thought was, was it 99.9% percent of our, difference. of our genetic makeup. Is basically the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's only yeah. like yeah. a point one. Yeah. Point. <laughs> That's it. And why is it so difficult then? You know what I'm saying? Like, why is it so hard for us to just reach out or, or understand somebody that doesn't look like us? Well, it's, <laughs> you know, the easiest way to feel good about yourself is to put others down. Right. And, you know... it. 
one of the reasons I've always, you know, looking at racism in the South, say, poor whites in the South, nobody wants to be at the bottom of the social ladder. So as long as we had slavery or as long as we have African-Americans thought of as second class. That's where the idea of white privilege that he brought up. Absolutely. Then I'm not at the bottom anymore. Right. And um, so at least I'm not as bad as them. Someone else. Right. Um, it's a lot easier to be an us when you have a them. Yeah. And I think that's why we can't get past that 0.1%. Um, because the, there's still people holding on to that us versus them because they don't want to be at the bottom. And there's also this idea that our brains are really wired to categorize and our brains want to stereotype because it's easier. Our brains will take the, the path of least resistance because you think of the fact of like with education, those of us who are teachers know the idea that the best way to get new learning is to relate it to old knowledge to, so, they, so students can see how does this information learning right now relate to old information so I can put it in a box in my mind I know where mm-hmm. it fits. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot what happens with, with any kind of stereotyping is it's easier for us to say this entire group acts one way. We don't have to learn to different. It's a lot harder to start to see everyone as an individual because it takes a lot more brain power in learning and understanding and, and evidence gathering to do that. I think part of it is somewhat biological that we are wired to group and categorize things. And we go with what we see most obviously, which in our country is skin color. It's super interesting though, because not all countries view race the way we do. They don't, right. they don't view difference based on skin color necessarily, which of course probably also comes from the fact that our country is so uh, racially diverse, whereas many other countries are, are, are much or homogenous. more homogenous. Right. Um, yeah. So um, let's get into the book a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, the first couple chapters really goes back and, and talks about who was the first racist and, and um, all of us were kind of like, what is that name? And, and, and kind of where it was born out of. But once we get into the idea of creating a new country, right, um, we needed to have um, somebody to work um, at, at really little to no cost so that we could actually uh, become wealthy. I mean, that's really what it was about, right? So one of the chapters that I had read just last week was Contradiction. And Rich, you were saying that you really like that chapter. Why? Well, well, it's. I think it's the. It's the ultimate problem you have in America. Of. There's the. Most slave owners, if you will, were Christian. Mm-hmm. So there's Christian beliefs. But then there's economic needing. And, the economic needing for most people is I, I need this stuff. You know, I, I, I want this kind of lifestyle. And it was easy if you take somebody like Jefferson. Did he believe all men are created equal? I think he probably did. But when push came to shove, if I get rid of my slaves, I'm not going to have all this that I want. It was easy to put my beliefs aside. And maybe that's why, and at least in my mind, you take slaves and make them... African-Americans as slaves as a separate category, not a human. But then, then I can live with all men are created equal and just say, well, yeah, but they're not people, you know? And it, it was like they were changing 
we were just talking about it. They were changing the goalpost. You know, they were changing what it, the definitions, right? So if you don't view African Americans as people, then the treatment, no, it's just, you know, they, they were, African Americans were counted as, as livestock. And, you know, that goes back to the three-fifths compromise. You know, the, the thing that I've always felt whenever I was learning about, like, the Civil War in middle school and high school was, like, the North was noble mm-hmm. because they were anti-slavery. But that's not the case at all Mm-mm. because, you know, their arguments for the three-fifths, it was a compromise. They agreed to it. They didn't want the South to count African Americans as people because then they would be outnumbered. Yeah, it was a power struggle. Yeah. But, you know, if they, if the North had the geography, like you were saying, like how would a geographer look at it? If the North had a geography that was suited for long growing seasons, you know, it, it would have been widespread. It would have been everywhere as a uh, cheap source of labor. Well, and, and that's, I mean, we still experience that today. You know, do we all believe child labor is wrong? Yeah. Do we like cheap Nikes? Yeah. So do we put aside that belief of oh, child labor is wrong because it helps my bottom line to buy cheap Nikes? And self-interest will, for a lot of us, become bigger than what's right and what's wrong. It's the whole disconnect. Like, we don't see the child labor going on. If we were exposed to it constantly, that make, might make us do a second glance, or like if workers were being taken advantage of and we could see it on a regular basis, that would make us feel more uncomfortable. I know it's not the same, but I used an example today in class where we are a very wasteful society. Mm. So if I had to raise my chicken from a little hatchling and then I had to slaughter it for my food, Later that day, I wouldn't be as wasteful because I, it took me time to do that. And so, yeah. Like. So as we kind of continue through the book, though, it, uh, it, it gets deeper into, and I really want to get to, like, the early 1900s. You know, um, just kind of looking back, I think that section, that's like section four. And Section 4 basically is 100 years, right? It goes from 1868 to 1963. I mean, when you think about all the things that changed in our country during that time, when you talk about social problems or you talk about bettering a society, you know, it's hard to imagine, um, you know, women not being able to vote. It's hard to imagine... Anyone not, uh, not over, you know, who's over 18 not being mm-hmm. able to vote. And yet we still have that as an issue. I mean, we're, come on, we're, we're in it right now. I mean, the whole idea was that, you know, things were so lopsided or whatever in terms of um, voting in the last election that that became, that became central to the fight, right? Um, why is it that we think that... Others might not deserve a vote, do you think? I mean, that's a tough one because you see it. I mean, you see it all around. There's ways in which polling places are, are shut down so that there's not as many of them. And, you know, 
I mean, when we talk gerrymandering and we talk about um, really keeping it limited, I mean, you guys, I'm an idealistic mm-hmm. person where I hear that everybody has the right to vote. I want to believe that from the jump. And I don't want to think that it's more difficult for someone um, to vote. So what is what is the deal? I mean, I think it's similar to what uh, Rich was saying about Jefferson. It's that we have our ideals, but then we have our conveniences. And it's easy to rationalize, I think, that it's like it's easy to say, hey, everyone has the right to vote. We need to make sure everyone does. But then you realize, well, if we can restrict it in the right ways, I stay in power. I'm doing what's right for the country. And so and obviously I can't get in the heads of, of politicians who do anything that comes into vote voter suppression. But like the idea, I think, is that probably ultimately they would believe what they're doing is ultimately the best for for the greatest number of people um, if they really think that what they're doing as a politician is the best thing for the country at large and I find it hard to believe that there's a politician out there who thinks that what they're doing isn't best for the country um, even if you know they have blinders or they're misinformed by any reason I would I would imagine almost every politician thinks they're doing the right thing yeah I just struggle I, I just struggle with the idea that people are um, kind of swayed to not vote, mm-hmm. basically. You know, whether they're shutting down polling places mm-hmm. or they're moving mailboxes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just, to me, like, everything that we're built on is that we're all going to work at this together, right? Welcome, Welcome to, to Black, Black History, History Minute. Minute. My name is Zyra. My name is Morgan. And I'm Dershell. This week, our famous black American is Rosa Parks. Rosa was born February 4th, 1913 in Alabama. She is called the mother of the modern-day civil rights movement. Rosa refused to give her seat to a white passenger on December 1st, 1955. She was arrested because segregation on buses was legal in Montgomery at the time. But we hope to achieve equal rights. Parks and NAACP member wasn't the first to refuse a seat, but became an icon for change. African American leaders called for a bus boycott. Martin Luther King Jr. helped lead the protest. Rosa ended up serving on the staff of U.S. Representative John Conyers. Rosa received many awards, including the Congressional Gold Medal. Rosa died at 92 years old in Detroit. Thank you for joining us for Black History Minute. See you next time. So I'm, see, I'm a kid of the 80s, all right? And I'm going to go back to 1980 when um, the Monday Night Miracle happened. And uh, the USA... Oh, no, that's uh, that miracle. I'm talking about, yeah, not the blues, but I'm talking about... uh, Won't beat the Russians. Yeah. You know, and I will tell you that as a young person, I was 10 years old when that took place. So... They weren't born. I know. We don't have to talk about that necessarily. But what I'm trying to get at is, as a young person, I believed that I was part of a nation that was really together in the sense that we all came together in that moment. And guess what? We beat the other guys. Or And I guess it's... I felt like I was, I was a part of something good. And, and I feel like since I've grown to the age of 50 now... I don't feel that as much. I don't feel like we're as 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 unified as a country, and uh, and I don't know how it was for you guys growing up. But did you did you ever have a time where you felt like, man, we're we're part of a great country? Nine eleven. 
Yeah. 9-11. And yeah. when he talks about that in the book, I found it really interesting because growing up, you know, the three of us, we were in grade school when that happened, and we were impressionable still to the point, it's okay, Rich. <laughs> I was uh, in high school, don't worry. Great. It's still <laughs> great. Like one year. It's still great. I was uh, here at Selvage. But yeah. we were still impressionable, and, I, and, you know, I can admit whenever that happened, I felt like, yeah, we're, we're united as a country, you know, it's, it's more than I've ever seen before, but as Reynolds kind of mentioned in the book, like, yeah, we were united against, like, Right. A group of people. A group of people. So there was always that common enemy. And I guess you can kind of relate that back to the, the, the hockey with being united against right. the Russians. Right. Exactly. And I don't know. I just, I just found that whole kind of different perspective. Because like, that's something I've never, never really thought about before. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of interesting to think. And I think it goes a lot back to what Rich was talking about earlier, saying, you know, they're, they're always it's, – it's just nice to have that feeling that – Oh, I'm not at the bottom. You know, mm-hmm. there's somebody lower than me. Right. And I think that drives a lot of, of society. And I think a lot of it, too, goes going to back to what Tony was talking about with the politicians and the government. I think peop- a lot of times people want to find a scapegoat. Yeah. They want to find somebody to blame their problems on. But no one wants to admit that they're the problem, that they have done something wrong. They always want to believe that, hey, what I'm doing is best for everyone rather than, you know, listening and, and trying to take in different different points of view. It's, it's easy to rally around a small idea or, like, a few words or a few sentences. It's hard to actually make a change to change your, your entire lifestyle, like with Jefferson. You know, like, his words meant one thing, but his actions were another. And that would have been difficult if he was actually going to stand by his words at that time, even. But but something you mentioned, and you guys jumped on with 9-11, that I talked about earlier, it's the them. Right. You know, for us, it there was... There has to be a them. The Russians. Right. They were the them. For you guys, it was the terrorists. It was the them. Right. The, Nothing brings us quicker together than a them. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that, though, is when we have that unified enemy, that them, it can help us really ignore what is going on in our country. Because, I mean, let's go back to World War II. Obviously, that's a big topic for me because we deal with it every year in language arts because we, we teach Anne Frank and all that. And we had that common enemy of the, the Nazis, the Axis, really. And we were able to kind of gloss over the fact that we interred Japanese Americans. That yeah, we don't even talk about that. Yeah, it's and it's so interesting because again, we had that common enemy, and it, it hid what not that what was going on was a secret, but it, it made it easier to ignore because the bigger thing was fighting the Nazis, um, fighting the Japanese, fighting the Axis, Italy, all of that. Um, it's just really, really interesting to think about how that factors in. Well, and then I don't know if you guys saw because we were just talking about the us and them, but the the part that starts talking about Rocky. Did you happen mm. to get to that part? Yeah. Well, you know when I I mean you watch it for entertainment, but when you think about it, I mean it was it's not a great theme. Uh uh-uh. uh You know, it's, I mean we like the root for the underdog, but right. Um, in society, the the roles are reversed there. Right. I think if I can speak being younger, (laughs) 
not being well you could speak any which way but you're always going to be younger was was made um you know never really connected what was happening in society around the time that that movie was made and you know i like to think that sylvester stallone's you know whole premise wasn't you know hey beat down on this group of people and show them that you know we can be better but at the same time when you connect that to what was happening with with the rise of of black boxers Mm -hmm. i mean that's it's hard not to see it now. Right. I mean, specific. Wow. No, see, you can't talk. <laughs> to, to the, first, the first movie. Yeah. So I, we've all seen Rocky, I guess, huh? I've oh. never. I've seen <laughs> bits and pieces. I've never seen Ryan a Ryan has not oh seen Rocky. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was never a Sly, a Sly fan. That, but, but I think you're, you're getting into the idea of media influence because that right, chapter, right. like, before that, it was Uncle Tom's Cabin, which yep, I know... Yep. Uh, you two are familiar with because, you know, doing history, Civil War, all that, it's a huge part of it. Every year I get to hear Abraham Lincoln talk about that at the Civil War yep. field trip, which... Mm. We're not doing this not, year. Not this nope. year, not last, last year either. Or last year. But we get into um, Tarzan, we get into Birth of a Nation, yes. and what's interesting to think about with, with media's role in shaping how we view the world um, is that Rocky... It's really hard to say, like, I, I think you'd have to probably go back and try to find interviews from that time, but I, I don't know how I, it, I don't know, do you feel like they had that intention, or is it an unconscious thing that was built in? Now, something like Birth of a Nation, that's intentional, there's no doubt about that, but like, Rocky, that could very well be an unintentional thing that is just like in the back of someone's mind as they're writing. Yes and no, mm-hmm. because I think, you know... Writing, somebody had to say, that's a great idea at the studio, right? And the studio, what's their main objective? Money. <laughs> so so maybe the person who wrote it didn't necessarily have that in mind, but um, the studio probably could see it and then just kind of gloss over it and say, no, we just want to bring it to the masses because it's great entertainment. Right. Yeah. I mean, media definitely has a role in shaping who we are, and you can just see it in the way that, especially news media, um, has has taken off in the last ten to fifteen years. That's a whole other book. Well, we're, yeah. I know, right? Mm. But I don't know that we're doing the 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 fair reporting. Certainly not balanced in places. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, we're doing it for entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that entertainment is causing us a society. Yeah, it's ratings because it's all about right. ratings. So it's not about it doesn't have it, the goal isn't accurate reporting. The goal is money. It's what will make the most money. I think that's what's so can be so scary about media reporting, about news journalism, is that you really have to be careful with it. That it's I mean it's 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 a weapon. I mean, Absolutely. information is a weapon, and that's how it's being used, um, whether it's being used to be accurate, it's still a weapon. It's still being used for a purpose, even if it's to be accurate about what's going on in the world. I think that can be really a hard thing to deal with and hard thing to understand and figure out. So that brings me kind of to technology then. And I know we're kind of all over the place, but in in terms of, I think the idea here is to really explore what kind of society we truly all want to live in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that this book... Is, is really being able to bring an idea to people and to discuss. 
Um, why, why do we think, I'm going to get to technology in a minute, but why do we think it's so difficult for some of us to pick up a book like this and actually just read it? Um, guilt. Yeah? Yeah. Um, it's, I think when you look at the 100 years or even to now, there is, okay, you know, nothing will get people fired up who look like me than using the words white privilege. Mm. And because there's guilt associated with that. Mm-hmm. And if I don't talk about it, then I don't have to feel guilty. I think fear a little bit too. Fear, fear is of definitely accusation. There. Uncomfortable. But, yeah. and, so, yeah. and so I think we had a hundred years where we were trying to, to, even today, take a look at slavery and it, first of all say it wasn't as bad as everybody thinks, gone with the wind, et cetera, mm-hmm. which we know is right. Mm-hmm. But now, and it's, it's, they talk about it in the book. They go, well, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and my favorite line in the movie Get Out was, I'm not a racist. I voted for Obama twice. <sighs> and I would have voted for him for a third term. <laughs> I absolutely, you know, I could have just, but, but we're so feared, you know, and then wanting to just almost apologize, not apologize, but try to remove that guilt from us that, we're doing some whitewashing and we're doing some not my problem or washing hands and saying I have a black friend is enough to make me not a racist, which is um, the show Avenue Q has a song called We're All a Little Racist Somehow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I think is it's hilarious, but it's a true point. Yeah. Across, I mean, do we I mean, we it's hard to look I, at a book like this for anybody because you have to admit. Oh, damn, that's me. Yeah. At least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it kind of sounds like our battle is between kind of individualism and then the idea of us and them, right? Where, you know, because I believe that together we do better. You know, when, when we all work towards the same goal, everyone benefits from from that shared vision. But, the, but here's, I'm going to, don't even interrupt, but yeah. my shared gold is what's our shared gold, unfortunately, is what's best for me. Right. And unfortunately, I mean, I think that's we all do have a shared goal. We we want the best for ourselves. Right. And society tells us, hey, whoever you gotta step on, just be the best you. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's also hard to talk about this subject matter, racism, uh, from the standpoint of misspeaking or the fear of saying something in a, out of context, you know? Um, I think that's kind of why I've been kind of like a little taken back from the conversation because I was like, with my, my chicken analogy, to go back to that, what I was trying to say was that, um, you know, when you see what is in the sausage, you know, you, you're not going to... You might to, not want to eat it as... And that's what I was referring to, not, like, just clarification. Sorry, but, vegetarians. But but that's... it's. I, don't, I mean, I think that's the thing. And with this being broadcast out to people on the other side listening, they have the ability to critique and judge your opinion based sure. on what they've heard from that little soundbite. Which know? is our world in general now with social media, we're... 
essentially recorded in most of our lives and in some just, way. It's difficult, and I think people are afraid to talk because they don't want to be, um, you know, maybe misinterpreted, misinterpreted, mm-hmm. or just their simple lack of knowledge about it. Well, there can be ignorance, and we don't have to ma- mean so. It doesn't have to be such a mean word, but ignorance, you know, needs to be addressed. I mean, you have to you have to learn along the way somehow, right? You get to I mean, learn to be wrong and yeah. learn to be corrected in in a way. I think we're we we fear being corrected. Yeah, and and understand is, and why is, you're wrong. Yeah, and this is something I've I've talked to my students about every year at the beginning <clears> of the year is like you are gonna say something at some point that's gonna bother someone. Yep. You're gonna make a mistake. I do it. The best thing you do is listen when you make a mistake, why someone's bothered by it, and then learn from it. And I think that applies to a discussion of race. It's like we're all going to make mistakes. There's no doubt. Like it's going to happen. This is a this is a minefield of a topic. And I think if as long as we're willing to listen to people who who are angered and we understand that anger and the hurt and try to grow from it, that's the best we can do. Yeah. So we were gonna. T- I wanted to jump into technology a little bit, and Tony, you kind of mentioned social media. You know, do do all of us have some type of social media in our world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all you guys do. So my, I just really kind of deal in basically Twitter and Facebook, and then sometimes Instagram. But but all of it for me isn't necessarily a personal approach because I didn't get into Twitter out of wanting to myself. I got into Twitter because of the school. Uh, I would say Facebook was kind of the same way for me. I didn't really get into Facebook. Um, it, I kind of backdoored it because of school. I used it for publicity for the school. And same with Instagram because I thought that was one way I could get to the kids. One of the things that I struggle with when we talk technology is how quickly and rapidly things have advanced when it comes to um, media literacy. You know, I can, we've tried to talk digital citizenry and citizen citizenship, but as, as adults, I don't think we've done a very good job with this at all. I feel like, and, and part of the reason is, is because we were learning right along with the kids mm-hmm. and they were finding things out before we even knew what they were. So you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but how do we really manage this world, this social dilemma? I, what do you guys think? It's heavy. <laughs> I think you, you have to... I, I got swept away in that whole GME thing, the GameStop. Stuff. Right. And when you're in that, that realm, you're just getting what you already think you know right. and that you're right. So, and I was able to identify like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm confirmation bias all the time. <laughs> like I'm getting what I want from this and it's not healthy. Mm-mm. And I think that's the first step is identifying what is your bubble that you're stuck in? Um, what, what is, what's, what's the part that's holding you back from maybe having that discussion or, um, Something of that sort. And I, and I think as adults, the problem is that we really, there's no, we're not in school anymore. We're not, you know, obviously as teachers, we're still in school, but we're not as, in school as students anymore. And we really honestly have to seek out 
learning for ourselves on this front, and it's really hard to do. And uh, for anyone who's familiar with Crash Course, I know at least all Mr. Blackford's students are, they have a fantastic uh, series called Navigating Digital Information that's all about, I think it's like 11 episodes, about 15 minutes each, about media literacy, and it is incredible. I highly recommend it. It talks about confirmation bias. It talks about um, horizontal reading, so basically... Instead of reading one source top to bottom, reading all the articles on, let's say, CNN, it's you read the same event on multiple sources to try to get a more broad view of of different perspectives on it. And I think that is a great way to to really start to to get better at this, to understand a fuller picture of what's going on in the world, to get out of that confirmation bias bubble, for instance. I think we have the ability as educators to do that really easily with younger generations. But I think speaking specifically to older individuals who aren't in school anymore, it's got to be a conscious decision they make right. for themselves. And that's the right. toughest thing. That is the toughest thing. You know, as like as, we skipped right over something and right. just went straight to like, and uh, like a agitation teachers, or something. We, we like to think, you know, we can look at multiple different sources, multiple different perspectives to try and frame the full story, what what actually happened. I feel like that's like a natural thing that we do. But for somebody who doesn't do that every day, you know, somebody who might be, I don't know, an accountant or or whatever, they're they absorb the news from the source that they get it from and and creating not not necessarily like an echo chamber of sorts, but they just constantly are getting the same thing that that one source is providing them, and that they don't they don't ever open themselves up to that additional information that could be out there, and then they start to believe that no other information is right. reliable, right. and that's hard. where it gets really tough. And it's hard because it's time consuming. Yep. Oh yeah. There's you got to put energy into there's it. Too much out there for us to manage. I mean, between news, I mean, you could spend your whole life just enmeshed in news and still have more to learn. <laughs> between, you know, local, national, and international, but then just all the entertainment we've got, like, that wants us to get away from the news. Is, right. There's there's not enough time, period. Well, there's, there's definitely distraction out mm-hmm. there for all of us, right? And, Ryan, you and I were talking this morning, 30 minutes on the Reddit, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is that time wasted or well spent? Wasted. Right? I mean, <laughs> so, I don't know. Only 30 minutes. Hey, so um, kind of getting back into the, the only 30 minutes, <laughs> um, kind of getting back into the book, um, what, what would you guys tell someone who, who might be thinking about reading it or you think really should be somebody to read it? You really need to have the open mind of kind of flipping some of the history that you think you know on its head a little bit, diving into the... The, the dirty part of, of our history a little bit. The uh, stuff that nobody really wants to talk about. Would you refer to it as the what goes into your hot dog? The sausage? <laughs> you want to look and see how the sausage is made. How is the sausage the made? That's the reference. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I think a good way to, to look at this is that it's more complicated than we've probably learned usually, but that's, I think, true of everything in life. We as people are more complicated than we appear to others. Like we, people only see one side of us. They see us out in the public. No one sees what we look like when we're alone by ourselves, doing whatever, whatever we do, like, you know, on Reddit for 30 minutes or whatever. Um, (laughs) But I think that's a big thing is that 
no one is perfect, and this book is all about showing all those imperfections that that there we our, our our narrative around like Lincoln, for example, is that he was this great emancipator, right. honest tape, all of this, but he's it's more complicated than that. There's a lot more to him. I mean, understandably, he's a, for one, he's a politician. Mm-hmm. They're always angling different sides because they have about eight million things to do, but also he's human. And so there's going to be both good and bad things about really any person. Yeah, and that that's one thing that I really, really started to get into whenever he, getting into the book was when he was talking about individuals, individuals that we know as as historians, like, okay, this person, you know, you talk about Frederick Douglass, you talk mm-hmm. about somebody who is fighting against slavery, you talk about Martin Luther King Jr. fighting for civil rights, but they really, they, they'll show you mm-hmm. the imperfections, they'll show you how... Douglas and, and, and King were in some ways assimilationists mm-hmm. versus anti-racist and trying to push policies to get people just to accept mm-hmm. black people rather than pushing the fact that, hey, you know, we, <laughs> we're more than everything you've been led to believe. Well, and Rich, you and I were talking a little bit about a movie that you wanted to see. Um, what is it? The Seven movie? Oh, the trial. I, I saw the, the trial, trial of Chicago Seven. Seven yeah. yeah. And I saw it as well. Fantastic film. And and did you learn a little something? Oh, learned a, learned a lot. Right. I mean, um, you know, when you say what's hard about this book, for all it, it it's going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's going to point a mirror at you, and you're going to see imperfections, and you're going to be like, no, damn. And we don't we don't like that. Yeah. I mean, I I got the world pointing out my imperfections. I don't need a book. <laughs> I mean, right? I don't want a book to do that. <laughs> right. And, you know, there's so much that people just don't know that makes them, it'll make you uncomfortable. And, and that's okay to be uncomfortable. Okay. Um, you know, I always, you know, kids are always like, you know, the 13th Amendment, oh, what a great amendment, it ended slavery. Except did it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch right. the, the show The 13 on Netflix, you find mm-hmm. out. No, it didn't. Right. It, it put in a caveat, but so, I mean, that's the kind of thing of, like you said, you have to relook at what you think is true, and it might make you uncomfortable. And you have to take a look at words like myself of white privilege and going, well, I don't have any privilege. And then you start going, well, yeah, I do. And it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. Good. Because that's when you change things because you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Especially so, when you get to the end of the book and it starts talking about the stuff that you have lived through. You right. you know your version and then looking at it from another different perspective. Lens, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, toward the end, they also talk about the idea of intersectionality, the idea of how multiple identities within us all planned ideas. And so the idea, you mentioning, uh, Rich, white privilege made me think of it because we've had this conversation at lunch before around the idea of white privilege. And it can feel... Like, I don't have that. And I think what's interesting is that, so we have all these different identities. We have our social class, our race, we have our gender, we have our religion, and on and on and on. And I think there, there are people who feel like they don't have white privilege because they've had so many other bad things happen in their life. And you can have white privilege, but you can have, you cannot have class privilege. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're poor and white, you have privilege in one way, but it may not feel like it because that other, that class identity hides that privilege in a way. And 
so I think that is, I think that's, I think the big misconception that white privilege means you've had everything given to you, which is not exactly true, but there have been certain advantages simply based on race. But again, you may have other disadvantages based on other social categories like, you know, class, for instance. Yeah. What did, what did Chris Rock, I love his special, he goes, you should hate me, not because I'm black, but because I'm rich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, there's class warfare, there's, and, and you know, and, and yeah, white privilege. I don't have rich privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have I don't have rich class status privilege. <laughs> yeah, it's the playing your name. Either. I know yeah, they're playing my name against me. <laughs> I don't have that kind of status. I don't have Ivy League status. Yeah, but there's no doubt you did that go there's to Harvard of the Midwest. I yeah. did trademark pending. Okay, um, and I I think it's hard for like, I think it'd be hard for for people to see like let's let's look at like a rural area. Who in so many ways is disadvantaged between lack of broad some rural areas have no broadband access, they have hardly any hospital staff, they have doctors that maybe visit every once in a while. And so I think white privilege could be hard for someone in that situation, for example, to see because they have so many other factors working against them in their life, or maybe their industry disappeared from the town, and so like they're dealing with with poverty. Unemployment, Unemployment, yeah. And I think that's where this gets so hard to talk about, is because when, uh, we've gone so far off topic here with this book, but it's because you almost have to. There's so order, much intwar- intertwined. Yeah, because everything is intertwined, and, and no one book can do that justice. Right. But this right. book does do a great job. So last reason. question. should Would you recommend this book to everyone? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no one that you wouldn't recommend it no. to, right? No. 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 I mean, everybody should probably take a look and yeah. see what's in this book. Hey, yeah. And if you are... The type who reading a book or even listening to one is hard for you. There's a Netflix adaptation upcoming. <laughs> Coming up, yeah, and also they Nothing have like uh, a little plug. Huh? Yeah, I know. I feel like <laughs> I'm. I feel like I must have some personal stake in this. Yeah, like right. I, I'm monetarily involved. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. No affiliation. Yeah, right. uh, just so you know. But it, I, I say it because it, I think it's important to know. Like if there were a Netflix adaptation of the Crash Course right. of media literacy, I'd be telling you. I mean, honestly, yeah. go watch it on YouTube. Seriously, yeah. it's it's worth it. But. Like, look for the adaptations of this. There's going to be an adult version, a middle grade version, yeah. and a, I think, really young yeah. version for kids. I think it's like songs and stuff. Because yep. yep. um, they also have a, a young kids ver- adaptation of this book as well. It's been adapted twice well, for two different age groups. So, Well, yeah. guys, I really appreciate you taking some time to kind of sit around and just mm-hmm. discuss this. Because it's important for us to, to do these kind of things. So thank you for your leadership and for your... Um, uh, understandings and, and your perspective. Um, I appreciate y'all. So thank you guys. Thanks Who wants to us. say it? Absolutely. Mike's off. Mike's off. <laughs> I beat you. Mike's off. Join us in the weeks to come as we learn and grow together.